Um, so, uh, yeah, um, discernment in Acts. Um, Acts is actually a really great book uh, to be thinking about in terms of discernment. The whole book, in a way, is basically one long act of discernment. Discernment is, um, I guess, to, to define at the start, um, definition to talk about it as, as judging well, something about taking the facts that are in front of you and making kind of an informed decision about what you do going forward. Um, but as I said, kind of in Acts, that's quite exciting because um, the whole, the, like the subtitle of Acts could just be, oh, like, what the heck do we do now? And like the whole thing is just then Jesus has gone obviously at the end of the Gospels and left them to kind of figure out how this movement goes forward. And so the whole book of Acts is like time and time again, them figuring out like literally at times where do we go and take this next? And at other times it's like, what on earth does this Gospel now mean in the places that we're going and in light of what we now know? And so um, actually what I'm gonna, there, were, there were a couple of passages specifically mentioned um, in, in terms of discernment, I'll talk about those, but actually what I want to do this morning is give a kind of like overview of the acts of discernment that we see throughout acts, um, and then maybe kind of what principles they might give us about what discernment looks like elsewhere in scripture. Um, it's worth saying at the top of this, that to an extent, um, like the story of the disciples making decisions in acts is a continuation of what Jesus has been trying to prompt the disciples to do um, in the gospels. So there are multiple instances in the Gospels where Jesus kind of tries to give a bit of responsibility to disciples to go off on their own and try and make stuff happen. So he sends out the 12 um, quite early in the Gospels. Um, But when he sends out the 12, certainly in Mark 6, he gives quite um, specific instructions about those, about what to take with them, i.e. not much, don't take an extra shirt, do wear sandals, if you're welcome, stay there, if you're not welcome, shake off the feet, your dust off your feet and go. But kind of beyond that, there aren't tons of instructions, so already Jesus has begun to plant the seeds that something about it means they're going to have to be imagining what this looks like going forward. Um, and again, in fact, um, he sends off then the 72 later in the Gospels with, with a similar kind of thing, again, just to go to go and do what they've seen him do but as we'll, as we'll get to in a second um, the kind of like outward push in acts is beyond what they've seen Jesus do so there's a whole heap more of discernment that's needed um, than had previously been kind of exhibited in the gospels um, and in fact it's not like the disciples it feels like had done much to earn Jesus' trust that they were kind of like on the same wavelength as him throughout the Gospels. You know, there were the constant hints that he's going to die that they don't pick up on. There were the hints that they're going to go and uh, like abandon Jesus at the time of his execution. They don't pick up on. There were the parables they fail to understand. Um, so it's fairly shocking that actually his final command to them is so like brief and vague and leaves a lot up to them. But actually, in the, in the kind of rabbinical tradition that Jesus would have been part of, part of being a disciple of a rabbi was kind of taking that rabbi's teaching and then reimagining what happened next to it. So there's probably something that disciples knew that this was like the next phase of it, because in being a disciple, that's what you were doing. But also earlier in the Gospels, um, Jesus had, had told the disciples that whatever you bind in he- on earth will be bound in heaven, and loosed on earth will be loosed on heaven, which was the kind of rabbinical... Um, tradition of allowing and permitting based off the Torah's teaching. So saying, actually, this is fine, but you shouldn't be doing this, that kind of stuff. So Jesus has already been laying the groundwork 
in the Gospels through all this ongoing act of dis- uh, ongoing acts of discernment that we see in Acts. I should think of a better word rather than acts of discernment because that's becoming <laughs> confusing. So um, let's take a bit of a uh, whistle stop whistle stop tour through Acts in all the various places we see kind of acts of discernment that kind of push people in different directions. Um, the starting point of Acts is obviously the Great Commission, which we see um, at the end of the Gospels, and we also see at the start of Acts. Um, and in terms of um, for the disciples going forward in discerning what should and shouldn't be happening, this is the starting point for it, recent, really. So there is the very clear command of Jesus um, at the start of Acts, which we get to somewhere. You know, the bit, going to the world, make disciples, that kind of stuff. It's different than Acts and Matthew, but that kind of stuff. And, it, and it's that command that I guess is the starting point and the outward thrust for everything else that happens within Acts. But it is different from what Jesus... Had. So Jesus has been operating um, within the kind of lands that were known to them, but Jesus' final command is to go out into the rest of the world and make disciples. So already, while there is kind of like, that's what you need to be going and doing... The disciples are probably already there knowing there are going to be some questions that come up that we haven't already thought about. Then later on in Acts 1, there is another act of discernment that is done in a wildly different way where they realise that um, they, they decide they should be having 12 disciples or 12 apostles, um, but they've just lost one, Judas, and so they try to discern who should come next and they do that through drawing of lots, which seems, again, quite wildly different to perhaps what we'd be expecting disciples to do. Um, we then move on to... Um, Acts 6, where um, some people come to the disciples, um, and obviously the, the church community there, there's, as, as talked about in Acts 2 and Acts 4, there is, there is stuff in common, there is feed, there are almost like feeding programs, there's a community growing, and in Acts 6, some people come to the apostles, the leaders of that community, and go, there are some people that aren't being fed, there are some really practical details that need to be worked out, and Again, in an act of discernment that we see here, the apostles' response to that is a really pragmatic one. Their actual words are like, well, we're too busy like praying and getting on with stuff, so let's get some people to worry about that stuff for us. Um, and they just make a practical decision of who among them would be good at that. Um, and so they, they pick these seven people, um, Stephen and Philip, probably being the two most notable among them who we see later in the book of Acts. But what we see there is a, just a real practical, pragmatic act of discernment in response to the needs that were going on in front of them. Um, in Acts 8, um, Philip, um, there are two Philips which get slightly confusing in Acts. Um, there's Philip that's in um, Samaria, stuff's going on, God is doing stuff through Philip, and, and the book of Acts tells us that in response to what God was doing in Acts, in Samaria, and what they heard they were doing, they sent Peter and John. So there's an act of discernment there that they hear what God is doing and they take a practical response to that. And then there is also later in um, in Acts 8, when Philip has then been told by God to, to go out, um, I can't remember exactly where it is, but where he meets the Ethiopian man on the road. So that is an act of discernment that God tells him to go, and he goes, but then the end of that story is kind of God takes that out of his hand by, the end of that story is like this Ethiopian man meets Jesus, is baptised, and then Philip disappears and turns up somewhere else. So I don't know if that's quite discernment, but it's certainly the way God is moving people around the map in the book of Acts anyway. Um, in Acts 9, um, we have quite, we, you know, probably the biggest, in terms of direction, someone's life changing after what God said to them. We have the encounter of Saul, later Paul on the road to Damascus. And there you have a vivid encounter with Jesus that then transforms someone 
um, in what they're doing going forward. And you know, in terms of discerning the will on his life, that is quite evidently of Jesus. And and probably what's worth saying is the two biggest moments that impact kind of decision making throughout this book are because of direct encounters with Jesus. So it's the direct encounter with Jesus at the start in Acts one that the apostles have that kind of gives them the impetus and like the mission statement going forward that is that kind of sets the context for the whole of the book. But then it's Saul's direct encounter with Jesus that then brings him into play and obviously has such a huge impact going forward as well. I had a drink from a cup earlier and it really tasted of washing up liquid like it hadn't been washed up properly and now whenever I taste anything it tastes of washing up liquid. That was a bad act of discernment not to smell the wash the cup first. Um, later in Act 9, um, Ananias is moved around the board, you know, if you imagine like a, a, a risk board or something like that. I'm watching quite a lot of Game of Thrones at the moment and the map is literally a board and they just shove stuff around like World War One generals. So that's how I imagine the Book of Acts looking, like God above it and just pushing people into place. So Ananias then moved on, um, God speaks to him and he goes to see Saul. Um, in Acts 10, there are um, moments of discernment where um, this guy Cornelius has a vision about Peter coming to visit, visit him. Cornelius discerns this is the right thing, sends one of his people off to go and get Peter. At the same time, Peter is having this vision from God um, about food, basically, and what is clean and what is unclean, which, um, as we, we see worked out in the later chapters, has quite a profound impact on um, the way the early church approaches a lot of that stuff. So while he is discerning what God might be saying to him um, about basically what he can eat and how they should live, there is then a, a more like instant moment of discernment where a guy turns up at his house and says, someone else has had a vision about you going there, and Peter discerns that that is of the Lord and goes with him. In Acts 11, um, Peter then goes back to the apostles, shares the story of both what has happened um, with Cornelius, but also his vision, and then there is a discernment among those apostles about how they should respond to that. They discern that God is somehow in that, and then they change what they believe about that going forward. Um, in Acts 13, there are moments where um, it says the Holy Spirit spoke, the people prayed and fasted in response um, to what the Holy Spirit said. It talks about people being sent by the Holy Spirit, so there's just ongoing, I guess, conversation with the Holy Spirit among the people as well that is helping them discern where they should be doing and what they should be doing. Um, but then there's also within Acts 13 and 14 um, moments where people discern what to do just based on like quite the real reality, the like reality around them. So there's people, there's moments where actually they go into a town, they feel unwelcome, they feel persecuted and they leave in response to that. So there is the kind of conversation with God going on but there is also this, is, this just isn't the right place for us to be and we can tell by the way that we're being welcomed. Um, you then get to um, the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. This is um, quite a big moment right in the centre of Acts where um, the apostles, the early church, are trying to figure out... The question basically comes down to um, whether the Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be part of the church. Um, and I'm, I want to explore this in a little bit more detail later on, but... It basically comes down to the people met together, they had a conversation about it, they discerned that God was sending them in one particular direction with this. Um, and in fact, the Bible says that it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit to make the decision that they eventually made. Um, and hopefully most of us know what, certainly the blokes in here, I imagine, know what the outcome of that decision was. There's an interesting way at the end of Acts 15... Um, 
Paul and, and Barnabas decide to, to go their separate ways because of disagreement, um, which again, there, there is a kind of these acts of discernment that are just practical, like we're disagreeing over this, we can go separate ways, we don't feel welcome in this place, type stuff. Um, then the next chapter, there are these interesting moments where Paul feels um, led to go in a, to a certain place, and there are quite a few places in Acts 16, I think there's two or three of them, where certainly like in verse 6, for example, of uh, verse 16, they travelled through this place, they travelled to Pyrgia and Galatia, um, because the Holy Spirit didn't let them preach the message in Asia. So there's something there about the Holy Spirit like stopping them going to certain places and them ending up somewhere else. It's quite an odd passage, that. But basically, it's like they got to a certain place, just said that wasn't where the Spirit was calling them to be at that moment. And so they discerned they should then move on to somewhere else. And then in the midst of that kind of, like, it feels like doors shutting in certain places, um, Paul then has this vision of um, the man of Macedonia telling um, him to go there. Um, and obviously, once they get to that place, um, a few things go on. They're, they're imprisoned. And I think it's certainly suggested, and, and when we talked about this, was some, I was having a conversation with people at the Order Mustard team meeting about this recently. There is perhaps an implication or indication that man of Macedonia may end up have been the jailer who ends up meeting Jesus through them going there. Um, so there's a, in Acts 16, there's this combination of doors shutting, but then quite a clear vision of where to go. Um, in Acts 17, Paul ends up in Athens, and that again seems like quite a practical consideration. Like they, there's, there's talk about there being this need for Paul to go to Athens, that there's a need for the gospel to go there. Um, so he goes on ahead there, and then while he's waiting for people to come and join him in Athens, um, there is it's said the kind of the preaching he ends up doing there and the ministry that ends up happening there is in response to the world around him. So he is discerning the needs of those people. It talks about Paul being greatly upset, um, and then he kind of ministers and discerns out of response to that world around him. In Acts 18, um, Paul has a vision um, that just encourages him to keep going when he's kind of struggling, um, telling him not to be afraid and to keep going. So that is, I guess, both an encouragement and an act of discernment. Um, in Acts 19, again, it's just a kind of practical bit of decision-making. So it talks about Apollo being in one place, so they sent Paul somewhere else. So it's just, again, just like managing resources and sending people around. Um, there's also quite a nice line in, uh, in Acts 19 where Paul just says, I really must see Rome, which is, I guess, an act of discernment, but also holiday plans, and perhaps where he eventually ends up. Um, in Acts 20, he's, Paul is travelling around quite a lot, but the um, motivation for that is he knows he wants to end up back in Jerusalem by Pentecost, and so there is, I guess, a like, practical kind of, like, I feel I should be there, and then the route is almost marked out for him by where he wants his end point to be. Um, in 21, there's, there's a conversation where someone comes up to him and says that he's had a vision warning him not to go to Jerusalem because he won't be welcome there, but Paul discerns that he should go anyway. Um, but then once he's in Jerusalem, he has a vision then to leave Jerusalem because he feels he won't be welcome there. Um, and then from that point on in Acts, um, the, the discernment is somewhat taken up. Paul's hands, he's arrested and then moved around quite a lot. Um, though perhaps there is... Similar to the kind of Philip being moved around um, earlier on, there is something in it being taken out of Paul's and any people's at all hand when um, the ship he's in shipwrecks and, and he ends up in a place where they weren't intending to be um, before eventually being moved on to Rome. So I'm sorry that was quite quick and just, but there is, as you can see, there are tons of acts of discernment and bits of decision making that happen throughout Acts. Um, 
and they, I, what I've done is I've briefly, I've narrowed them down into like some quite specific areas, which I'll briefly mention. And then I'll, I think they broadly fit into like three broad ways that we might see that God um, discerns, um, allows people to discern his will um, within Acts. So there are encounters with Jesus in Acts, both, like I talked about, both in Acts 1, uh, but also um, Saul. There is the random luck of just drawing lots um, for the replacement for Judas. There is like practical, pragmatic decision making in terms of who was joining the team in Acts 6. Um, the apostles in response to kind of what Peter had said, the Council of Jerusalem that is a bit more conversational, um, where Paul sees the need um, of the people in front of him in Acts 17 um, in response to that, but also him going um, to Athens in Acts 17 because that's just where the need was. Later on, um, when he goes to one place because Apollo's somewhere else. So there are kind of just raw practical bits of decision making. There are weird supernatural bits of decision making taken out of people's hands, such as Philip being moved around, such as could even put the shipwreck in there. Um, there are bits where it was in response to where God was at work. So Paul and John, tra- Peter and John, travelling in um, Acts eight, where it says God was at work there, so they went to see what God was in response, uh, God was doing in response to. There is the apostles' decision in Acts eleven in response to what God has said to Peter through his vision. Um, and there are a couple of other moments like that as well that I haven't written down here. Um, and then there is, I guess, the flip side of like where things seem good and like jumping on that bandwagon. There is the moments where stuff seems tough or they're not welcomed or they're persecuted, such as in Acts 14, where they leave somewhere because of that. Um, there are moments where it just says that God speaks. So Philip's initial journey to where he ends up visiting the Ethiopian man. Um, Ananias in Acts 9, where God speaks clearly to him. Um, in Acts 13, um, there's stuff about it seeming good to them through what God said. Um, prayer and fasting comes into that as well so there's an emphasis that um, discernment is happening through kind of yeah, intentional prayer and fasting there are visions that are talked about Cornelius and Pete, Cornelius has one as Peter's having one, there's a vision of the Macedonian man there's a vision in Acts 22 about leaving Jerusalem and then there are moments that seem it doesn't exactly seem like God spoke directly, it doesn't seem like there was a vision but just something about the Holy Spirit intervening such as it seeming good to them um, such as people making up their mind and being led by the Spirit. Um, perhaps you could even say that Paul thinking that he must see Rome was that kind of stuff. And then also the moments um, on the end where they eventually end up in Macedonia where the Spirit is kind of leading them in a negative way and shutting doors to kind of make a path um, clear in some sense. So I think you can basically narrow down um, those broad brushstrokes to these um, three ways that we um, see God kind of guide people um, in here. So um, discernment through circumstances um, in response to where God was at work. So like quite practical, God's there, let's go and get involved. Leaving um, in response to a place where it feels tough um, through what God's doing in the world, through where the opportunities were, um, and even just the kind of random drawing of lots. Um, But I guess also um, there's just seeing the need and doing on it like we talked about in Acts 6. Um, with the kind of practical stuff the church needed. And I guess perhaps often that is um, something we see reflected in our own lives. So maybe um, you end just timings with stuff work out, if we're deciding what job to do or where to move to. Um, just things falling into place and thinking like God's hand is on that. That's probably a lot of what they're experiencing here, that just the circumstances fell in such the right way that God's path um, became clear, even if it wasn't directly spoken. So there was discernment through the kind of wider circumstances that were going on. 
Um, there was then discernment through relationships. Um, that it seems what I love about the book of Acts is a lot of this decision making is happening in the context of relationship. Um, so there's all the stuff that's gone on there. It, it seems like people were getting together to make these decisions. So the practical stuff that we just talked about um, with the kind of helpers for the early church, the Council of Jerusalem, <coughs> which again we'll talk about in a bit more detail. Um, the response to Peter's vision, all that kind of stuff. It's all happening in relationship and knowing what's going on in each other's lives as well. So the reason they were know where God was working somewhere is because they're talking. God's working here, come and join me. Apollo's there, so Paul can go there. It's, it, it's happening in the, in the act of relationship. And if we specifically look at the Council of Jerusalem, so this big question comes up because God is at work among the Gentiles and this question has come up about whether they need to be circumcised um, in order to you know, join the church. And obviously, this decision is taken hugely seriously. The, um, the Luke, in writing um, Acts, he talks about people travelling 250, 300 miles in order to be there. And actually, it's pretty much the last time in Acts that all the main characters are together in the same place. Um, and as such, because of what we know happened to a lot of them as the kind of story goes outwards, it's the last time most of these characters were ever in the same place. It's seen as such... Um, a key moment in the life of the early church to figure out um, what... Because cause it was kind of about circumcision, but it, it's not about that, is it? it? It's about so much else that comes with the kind of Judaic roots of, the, of this new movement. So they realised this was important and they decided to discern this um, through relationships. So there are four kind of guiding principles that I think come out of um, what happened here. So the, the first one is that it happened together. As, as I said, people travelled to be there, they prioritised it. Um, and the decision that comes out is a reflection of everyone in, it, that is in the room. You know, specifically it's said in verse 22 that um, everyone was in the room, we had this conversation and the decision was made. And in fact, um, we see this kind of priority of all being in the same place to make the decision elsewhere in Acts. We see it when they're replacing Judas in Acts 1. We see it in response to the practical needs in Acts 6, the key people meet together to discuss it. It's a discernment that happens yeah. together. And in some ways, that spirit of unity was as important um, as the decision that's eventually come to, in some ways. <clears throat> and that happened through debate. So every, there are arguments that are listed um, within the um, chapter. Both sides are heard. Conversation is had. Stories and experiences from both sides are heard. And the final letter that goes out to the believers to let them know about the decision reflects that it has come through conversation and debate that that's happened. Um, the third um, thing about this um, act of discernment is that it is steeped in their tradition. So one side of the argument argues from the kind of the laws of Moses, that they, you know, the Torah, the first few books of the Bible, and it is coming from that argument. The other side of the argument is still based in the tradition of the religion that they've come from. So they talk about the kind of move away from circumcision as a fulfilment of what they've seen in prophets such as Amos, Jeremiah and Isaiah. But while it's steeped in tradition, the fourth guiding principle is that it's also based on experience. It's based on the lived experience of the Gentiles. And actually, um, basically what it comes down to when the letter is sent that gives the decision that um, all are welcome without being circumcised, um, a guy called uh, Luke Timothy Johnson um, says this. The grounds of the church's decision, then, was that the work that God was doing among the Gentiles. So the basis for the church's decision was the work that God was doing among the Gentiles, bringing them to salvation through faith. On the basis of this experience of God's work, the church made bold moves to reinterpret Torah, finding unexpected legitimization for its fidelity to God's surprising ways. 
So through conversation, through relationship, through experience, but ultimately it was the lived experience of this early church that was so key through um, for this moment of discernment. And hopefully, you know, that is something when we approach discernment in our own lives, it feels so much bigger and broader than our own narrow experiences, than our own narrow experiences of God, our own narrow experiences of God, our own lives, our own narrow interpretation of tradition when we are doing this in relationship. And the fact that this act of discernment happened with everyone in the room was so important. Um, And then the third uh, way, discernment that feels more specifically God-infused. I did kind of talk about, at one point I wrote that down with discernment through God, but I Obviously, all of this is through God, but there are moments that feel more specifically God spoke to them. Someone had a vision, the spirit intervened, all that, you know, even like the supernatural Philip being moved around. There are moments that are more specifically God intervening and doing something rather than the circumstance. You know what I mean? I feel that's quite a weird dichotomy to make, but there is a slight like change in angle between those two things. Um... And I guess, though, that for some of us, our experiences of discernment will be someone has had, you've, has had a word for us, someone has had a vision for us that has then changed the path that we felt we were on or a decision that we had to make. And that maybe has been where we felt God has intervened more directly than through these previous two. And obviously, all of this stuff, all of these three, all the other decision-making that happens in Acts is grounded in what happens right at the start. The command of Jesus to go out into the world and make disciples. Every decision that's made is made with that Potentially, actually, at the forefront of their mind. Every decision they make almost has to fit within that frame of reference. Is everything I, is this, this decision that we're making, does it fit within this mission that God has given us to do? And if that was the case, that then allowed them to then go through the other avenues of discernment. But ultimately, if it didn't fit within the mission of God on their lives, that didn't happen. It is that encounter with Jesus, it is that clear call of God on the lives of the disciples that enabled, that was kind of like the bigger picture for all of this discernment and decision making and alongside that as well as that kind of like knowledge of the the big picture that God was calling them into there is we see time and time again openness to God speaking you know Peter has already felt God spoke to him about one thing once and then someone else comes up to him who he doesn't know and tells him to go and travel somewhere else there is an openness that God can be speaking and guiding us and so much of it is rooted in prayer as well to enable God to speak and guide us we have to be open to it happening and have a kind of like a prayer life of some sort anyway that enables that to happen. So I, I, there is tons of examples and acts that we could talk about more of. Um, I want to talk, I know it's an experience week, but um, I'm going to briefly talk about the story of the, of the convent actually and how we've, I've kind of seen that story happen through these three things. Um, so, the, so the story of the convent is, um, it, it started as an opportunity. Um, there was a new story that went out basically saying that these nuns wanted to um, give away this convent to something. Um, so there was a circumstance, an opportunity for it to happen. And later on, that the circumstances then kind of mean that I end up taking a different path with that, which I'll get to in a sec. Um, the discernment that happened through relationships. So um, for three of the four of us, we, we were really good mates and met together and prayed and talked about youth ministry anyway. And so when this opportunity came up, it kind of felt natural that we played around with it in the relationships that we already had. And then it came out of um, I guess the experiences of us three as well within youth ministry, what we saw was the needs for the young people we were working with. And out of that relationship has kind of come the idea for where we are now. Um, and then 
as part of that, it's been really important that we've allowed God to speak, allowed moments for that for God to be quite clear and direct in terms of what we should be doing. Um, and obviously, um, as I'm sure many of us, many of you know, um, I've recently quit my job in order to try and make this convent thing happen. And to some extent, that is um, that decision, as well as the wider kind of convent scheming, has, can be seen through this lens as well, where the circumstances literally a, a, a quite clear feeling that if I didn't this wasn't going to happen, it was going to fall apart, there was a real clear need for something to happen. Um, the relationships in, in our core team, um, it felt right in that kind of conversation between the four of us, and then allowing God to speak to me more specifically about that, which, which he did in some quite clear ways. Um, so so, I, so that I, it's nice, I don't know, I just want to, I guess, ground these kind of like three models for discernment in something um, outside of the Bible as well, so sorry about that. Um, so that's kind of where I land with Acts, basically. We see discernment, we see God's people clearly being moved around, discerning their will, discerning God's will for what they should be doing and what the gospel looks like. I think, broadly speaking, through those three ways. Um, so I think it'd be great to have a bit of conversation about that. Um, so if you want to maybe get into groups, have these conversations. So in which of these ways have you discerned God's will? Which of these three broad types of discernment feel the most natural to you? And have you discerned things in ways different to the way we talked about this morning and what have they been? So, um, maybe we can put some music on and we'll get into groups and have those conversations and then Lana will take us from there.